Well, good evening. Welcome to the Idaho Falls City Club Republican Leg Legislative Forums starting this evening with District 32. I am Dana Kirkham. I am a member of the Idaho Falls City Club and I will be your moderator this evening. In a minute, I will introduce the candidates, but before we do that, we need to thank our sponsors who are making this evening possible. A special thank you to the Idaho National Laboratory, Contractor Battelle Energy Alliance, the Bank of Idaho, Floor Idaho, Idaho State University, and the Idaho Humanities Council. And a very special thank you to IE Productions and to East Idaho News for streaming tonight's forum. That way we can ensure that we have a large group of people. So we have all of you that are in the room and then hundreds more tuning in, I'm sure. No pressure. <laughs> uh, our mission statement, if you read it online, says that the City Club of Idaho Falls exists to sponsor civil dialogue and discourse on all matters of public interest. So it's very appropriate that we are hosting this opportunity tonight for our, our community to meet the candidates that are running to represent us. I've said this before when I've had the opportunity, and I'll say it again. I have tremendous respect for anyone who has the courage to put their name on a sign and take the criticism that comes with that. I firmly believe that everyone, and this isn't original to me, many people have said this, but I firmly believe that everyone should run for public office at least once in their lifetime. It will change your perspective of the political process. It should broaden your, your viewpoint and your horizons. And most importantly, probably the most important thing is it will make you a better citizen. So regardless of how this election turns out for these candidates on the stage tonight, I want to say thank you for engaging in the democratic process. You are literally stewards of the Republican process that our founders envisioned over 200 years ago. So let's begin by giving them a round of applause. So tonight we have the privilege of hearing from the candidates running for offices in District 32. So if you'll just raise your hand when I call your name so everyone can make the distinction who is who. Is that right? <laughs> um, running for Senator, incumbent Kevin Cook. Challenger Keith Newberry. Running for open seat house, or open seat house seat A, Nicholas T. Christiansen and Stephanie Jo Mickelson. All right, so let's go over the rules for tonight's forum. This is really a forum, not a debate. This is an opportunity to hear what our candidates have to say and maybe make up our own minds about where we want to be when we walk into the polls in a few weeks. So the candidates will have five minutes to introduce themselves, and I think five minutes is plenty of time. Honestly, if you can talk about yourself for five minutes, that's pretty good. You think a lot of yourself. So we'll see what happens, right? <laughs> um, each candidate will be addressed a question. I will decide what order the, candidate is or the candidates are addressed in. And then you'll have two minutes, a two-minute timed response. So Jerry, who's sitting right in front of us, will show the cards. When you see the yellow card, that means you have 30 seconds left. And when you have the red card, you need to complete your thought and finish. Don't make me be a referee. I've raised children, they still speak to me, but don't make me be a referee. Okay, um, you may not rebuttal unless 
your name is specifically stated in a response, at which point I will give you 30 seconds to respond to whatever, whatever uh, was stated. All right. And then when we come to a close, each candidate will have three minutes for some closing remarks, leaving the audience with whatever you think they need to hear before they walk into the polls in just a few weeks. All right. So with that, we will begin with introductions. Um, let's start with Kevin Cook. Thank you. Uh, first, I'd like to thank City Club and uh, Ms. Kirkham for, for doing this tonight. I think this is, this is important. Uh, I like her statement where it says she believes that everybody should run for office at least once, and I am a true believer of that. It will change the way you think about the political process and about the politicians. Uh, it has been a wonderful experience. I replaced uh, when Dean Mortimer decided to retire, I, I went and replaced him, and this is my first term that I'm completing and running for my second term. Um, I have served, I am currently serving on the, on the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee, the uh, Senate Education Committee, the State Group Insurance Advisory Committee, the Idaho Technical, uh, the Idaho Technical Authority Committee, as well as the Western Interstate Commission for Higher Education. Those are five very, very busy committees. I have enjoyed them and, and loved uh, serving there. Um, as a member of those committees, and in a senator, I backed and supported many bills that I believe helped the state of Idaho become even better. Uh, I am a pro-Second Amendment person. I have, uh, I have a, I'm a member of the NRA and have a A rating from the NRA. I am a pro-life person. I am endorsed by Idaho Life, and I believe that life is sacred. I am pro-education. I want to give our Idaho kids a greater opportunity, greater educational opportunities. I also want to retain and recruit teachers that will expand uh, the, outside, the, the student's mind outside of the classroom as well as inside the classroom. Our teachers are professionals, and I want to raise that to, uh, to everybody recognizes the great job that our teachers do. I am a pro-parent rights, and I believe that the parent has the right to make decisions for their children, including education. I am a believer in agricultural. I am a farm boy at heart, and uh, I love driving around and seeing these huge potato trucks uh, planting and harvesting. As a member of the JFAC committee, I, had, uh, I worked hard to keep our state, uh, government fiscal, responsible. We went through this, this state, we had a 1.9 billion surplus. We had 2.5 billion federal uh, aid coming in for the uh, pandemic, the COVID pandemic. And we worked hard to balance that budget. To, uh, to make sure that the federal money that was coming in, that we used it on projects that didn't commit us for years down the road. Because sooner or later, this ARPA fund, the COVID funds will dry up. I, I helped and took a, a big part in acting the uh, biggest state tax cut in Idaho history. I helped increase uh, a general fund for our education by approximately $300 million. We gave a 7% increase on, on our uh, staff uh, classified staff and a 12% uh, uh, increase for our teachers. 
We did $300 million of ARPA funds to help out our sewage and water treatment plants that help the city of Ammon big time, who met with the governor and trying to, to get some of that money to help them uh, expand their sewer plant. Elections was a big thing. We, we uh, appropriated $12 million to help make sure our elections was, was, uh, was safe, that it wasn't uh, interrupted or anybody uh, hacked into it. This was for our cyber response and defense fund. Transportation, we, we ended up putting $200 million into a, a shared fund that, that the county and the city could use to help uh, rebuild bridges and roads and sidewalks, and another $200 million for the state of Idaho to go throughout the state and fix uh, transportation needs. It was a huge job with lots of money, uh, but I believe that we were very fiscal responsibility in what we fiscal responsible in what we did. Um, I love Idaho, and I have worked hard to keep Idaho strong, and uh, and that's what I will continue to do. I am Kevin Cook, currently serving as the Idaho State Senator in District 32. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Keith Newberry. I'm Keith Newberry. I'm running for Idaho State Senate District 32. I've never run for political office. Uh, I actually grew up in southern Ohio, uh, 11th of 18 children. Uh, I met my wife here when I was a student in the Navy. We've been married for 35 years, 35 and a half years. We had three children and 10 grandchildren. Uh, on September 20th last year, our anniversary, uh, our 35th wedding anniversary, honey, I lost my job. The Idaho National Laboratory terminated me over COVID mandates. So um, also in 2020, uh, during Governor Little's lockdowns, uh, her business was shut down for four months. So we lost four months of income. In September last year, I lost my job, as I said, uh, over what I, what I view as unconstitutional and illegal mandates. The Idaho National Laboratory, uh, in their actions and the way they, they presented these, these mandates, they were forcing employees to get vaccinations. I wrote a letter to approximately 2,300 INL employees outlining the ways in which I thought the Idaho National Laboratory has broken the law and enforced unconstitutional mandates. During this process of me losing my job, uh, I contacted legislators, representatives, and senators. It started out with the few that are in these districts, Idaho Falls, uh, Ammon, Rexburg, those few districts, that's where I started out. Uh, I spoke to several of them. Uh, many of them, uh, they, um, they weren't too sure that they could do anything, but there were 15 representatives that met on the Capitol steps in, in Boise last year on September 15th. There were two senators. I believe the two senators were Regina Baer and Christy Zitto and our lieutenant governor. And they met there as a quorum under, on the, under the Idaho State Constitution to try to do something about mandates. Uh, the rest of the Senate and the House did not join them there. They stayed home. They were silent. So during this process, uh, from September through December, I wrote at least 100 emails to legislators about mandates, about, about uh, COVID vaccines that were injuring people. Um, and the Senate was largely silent on these issues. I did not get a single email back from a single senator. I did get emails back from some representatives. So I believe that these are as an issue that is still prominent today. There are still 
A, uh, we are still under COVID controls and an emergency order under the governor. Uh, the governor, uh, which he's allowed to declare for 60 days, this has gone on for two years. Our Senate has been silent, largely silent on this issue until very recently. So I am running. Uh, I believe that we need to do something about a silent Senate. Um, and I believe we need to do something about the mandates. Um, and uh, once, once those things are resolved, then there are other issues that we can, that we can deal with in the state. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. Stephanie Joe Mickelson. Thank you for allowing me to be here tonight to the people of City Club and for those in our community that are interested and want to be part of the process. Just a little bit about me. I was born in Idle Falls in the hospital that is no longer there uh, 50 some years ago, not to tell my age, but I grew up in Idle Falls till I was five and then after five, my family moved to Blackfoot. My dad's job had transferred him to Blackfoot. I graduated from Blackfoot High School. Then I left Blackfoot High School and immediately went to college about um, two weeks after I graduated from high school. And within two weeks of that, I met my husband, Mark. And we dated for about six months, and then we were married within about eight months of when I graduated from, from high school. And then a couple months after that, I actually graduated from college with an associates in economics. So I've, I've always been on running fast in my life. I always have things to accomplish and things to do. Mark and I started our farming business here in Bonneville County 34 years ago, and it's been a lots of ups and downs. We've had challenges that we faced. There were times when we had complete crop losses, and we had to figure out how to meet those challenges. And I think part of being able to run for office is you got to be able to figure out how to overcome challenges. And so I hope that that will be one of the things that I can bring to the table. I have four children, all four of my children have been publicly educated here in, in Bonneville County. They graduated from Skyline High School. Interestingly enough, three of my four children graduated early from high school and went on to college. So they, they had many things they wanted to accomplish as well. Uh, and when my kids were at first graders at Temple View Elementary, I became an art mom and then I continued to be an art mom for all my kids to be in first grade. And then I continued to be a, a room parent. And then as my kids went into junior high, I volunteered in the schools. And as they went into high school and they joined student government and they needed a mom to help them, I was that person that was there to help them and be engaged in their education. Then I moved on and I became Farm Bureau president of the Bonneville County Farm Bureau. And today I sit on the Idaho Farm Bureau State Board. I serve as co-chair of the Idaho Groundwater Users. I'm chairman of the Bonneville Jefferson Groundwater District. I serve as the vice chair on the board of trustees of the College of Eastern Idaho. And I also serve on the board of ERMAC. I think these experiences that I've had have, bring, have brought a lot of texture and depth to my life. They've taught me and helped me understand different perspectives than I've had before. I think that I've learned a lot about getting stakeholders to the table and having that opportunity to let everybody's voices be heard. Well, after, during the course of my life, I've also helped with, with the bringing about of the College of Eastern Idaho. I asked originally to be on the committee that took a look to see if we should change to a college, community college rather than just a technical school. And that was a little bit of work and, and some uh, effort on the part of good community members, and I was involved in that process. But then a few years after that, as I got uh, put on the board, I got to sit through my first CEI graduation, and it was so touching to me as we were there watching these students come across the stage. And these kids that come from a lower socioeconomic class would come up and they would hug their professors. 
and they had tears in their eyes because somebody had made a difference in their life. And when I look at education in the state of Idaho, I think we've done a really good job for the most part. We've done very well, and we've given a lot of opportunities to kids that wouldn't have them otherwise because we have teachers that are invested in, in the lives of these students. And I hope to continue on the legacy of, of education and the importance of education in the lives of Idaho students and families. It's one of the greatest investments we can make. I'm proud to have an endorsement by the FOP, which is the Fraternal Order of Police. I support the police. I've also been endorsed by the Idaho Farm Bureau. And when Senator Cook talks about those potato trucks rolling down the road, those at times are ours. And I got to tell you, as an employer, that's the scariest time of year when you know potato trucks are rolling down the road, fully loaded with potatoes, and, and you know you have people that have very little experience that are driving your trucks. So I want you to know I, I have experience running a small business. I have a lot of experience reaching out, being connected within the community, and I hope to continue to give that um, service back to my community. When we found out that Gary Marshall, my husband and I found out that Gary Marshall wasn't going to run again, we talked about it and made a decision that it was our turn to give back to our community, and I hope to continue to give back to our community, and I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks, Stephanie. Last but not least, Nicholas T. Christiansen. And that's the last time I'm saying you're all, all of your full names. <laughs> perfect. And we're going to be on a first-name basis now, all right? Yeah, perfect. So my name is Nicholas Christiansen, uh, and I, too, would echo that same thanks. And I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to everyone tonight. I appreciate the opportunity to have this broadcast to a, a wider audience than what we have here. But really, thank you guys for coming and being here. Uh, it's important that we all interact and, and participate in this process. Uh, and it's something that I have always, um, always participated in and always been a part of, but um, always from the sidelines. Uh, I've always watched the, po uh, the political realms and the political world go on uh, and made an assumption that our, our elected officials were going to do the right thing, that our elected officials had our best interest in mind, that they were following the Constitution of both the United States and the state of Idaho. Um, and I have, over the past couple of years, found that to not be true. Uh, I can go back and I can say that, uh, you know, when Governor Little went into the, you know, forced lockdowns, I was very upset. And I started a blog. And I started trying to get my, my voice out into the universe and try to get it out of my head because it wasn't doing any good there. And, uh, that in the course of that blog, it turned into a social media site where we could coordinate and try to uh, work on, on some, uh, some strategies with the people at the Idaho National Laboratory. I started a couple of petitions at the Idaho National Laboratory and I was fired for them. The lab will tell you that they fired me for inciting coworkers to break rules and they will tell you that they fired me for creating a conflict of interest with my website. Well. You go to that website and you see constitutional government, you see a belief in God, you see a, a foundation of the, based on the principles of what this nation was founded on, and if that's a conflict of interest, then fire me. And that's essentially what I said in the letter that I wrote back to the, in response to them firing me. So um, that really drove, that was really the straw that broke the camel's back in why I got into things. Uh, I had been speaking with legislators prior to that and trying to get some impact, to have some impact on the mandates and the, and the both mask and vaccination mandates. And we weren't getting very much impact. And 
You know, our, our state legislators had said that there's not a lot we can do. That may or may not be true. Uh, and certainly there wasn't much that happened. Uh, so a little bit about me. Um, I am, I have been married to my wife, Jenna, for, for uh, 20 years. And we have five kids, one of which just went to school uh, down in New Mexico, and the rest of them are at home. Um, I have three girls and two boys, and we love them very much. They're very, very active kids, uh, so I, I echo the running around and taking care of people. We do that a lot. Um, and since, the, since I was fired, I was able to pick up a couple different jobs, one of which I'm now a project manager for Smith Roofing and working, working in the community to try to help people with their roofs. Um, and, and I know that we've all been through that, right? So uh, we're, I'm just I'm trying to run for office so that we can defend our rights, defend our liberties. I'm big on personal liberty. I think that individual liberty is the, is the greater good and is the most important thing. Um, I, I think we need to pay attention to our election integrity. I think we need to make sure that those are solid and that there's no way that elections can be messed with or stolen or moved inappropriately. Um, I'm, I'm for parental, parental choice in education and I, I hope that the money would follow the child. I think that would create a, a more competitive environment and which would, which would result in better education across the board. Uh, and fiscal responsibility is a big deal. Um, I think that, respectfully, I don't think that there's been a lot of fiscal responsibility that's been going on. I don't think we should be taking billions of dollars from the federal government. And I don't think we should, because there's strings that come attached with all of that stuff. And the, some of the strings that were attached with those specifically say you will enforce every mandate that we put out. Well, there goes your 10th Amendment right, right? There goes the state's rights if you, if you do that. So, I think we need, to, we need to pull back and we need to really get fiscally responsible, which means reducing spending and reducing the amount of money that we take from the federal government so we don't turn into a welfare state. So again, thank you for coming. My name is Nick Christiansen, and I'm running for the House in District 32 CDA. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Okay, so now you've had the opportunity to have a brief introduction to all of the candidates on the stage. Let's talk a little bit about how the questions will work. So the majority of the questions were provided through the website um, in advance, City Club's website, people could go on and, um, and, and put some questions in. Although all of you in the audience tonight have the same opportunity, so you should have been given a three by five card when you walked in. And Tammy here in the yellow shirt, if you have written a question, just raise your hand, she'll come and get it and uh, bring it to me and we'll be able to use it if time permits. We may not get through everything. Um, to be clear, some of the questions I will ask all four, question, all four candidates. Some of the questions I may ask an individual candidate and perhaps one other, but not everyone will necessarily answer every question in the interest of time. All right, so with that, we'll begin. I'm going to try to be as fair as possible. I've got my hash marks up here to know who was asked what and when, so we'll try to make sure everyone gets equal billing. So I'm going to begin with Stephanie. Um, actually, this question I'm going to ask all four, question, all four candidates, but I want to um, start with Stephanie. So, in today's political climate, some would argue that it has become a very partisan, a very vitriol environment, and some would even use the word venomous. So, obviously, our Constitution was built on compromise, and so my question to you, first, what do you think the legislature should be focused on? And second, what are you personally going to do 
to encourage compromise and working together with opposing viewpoints? That is a great question. One of the things I, I learned this last year is that in order to get any legislation through, it takes compromise. So I'll tell you a short experience I had. There was an issue with the Industrial Commission. We notified the governor's office. We didn't want somebody reappointed to the commission. Several other, 45 other people did as well. And the governor went ahead and appointed this individual to the Industrial Commission. So then it continued to cause a problem, and it, it was specifically to do with lump sum settlements for cases of workers' comp injuries. So along with a Democrat and a Republican, we actually wrote a bill. We met with the governor on the 23rd of December before the legislative session started, and a bill was written, and then we met with the stakeholders, addressed their concerns in the language of the bill, and we had a bill that went through the House Committee and then it went through the Senate Committee. We testified at both of those hearings, and we were able to very successfully get that through both houses, and the governor signed that bill. I think one of the things that you learn, and the legislature needs, does a pretty good job of it, is you have to get the stakeholders to the table, the people that are directly affected, and you need to be able to address their concerns as much as you possibly can. As far as what the legislature needs to be doing, the legislature really needs to be focusing on, on their constitutional responsibilities, which is they need to provide for public schools, transportation, and public safety. And in so doing, if they'll focus on those things, the other things will fall in, the other responsibilities will fall in place. So that's my answer to that question. Thank you. Uh, Nick. All right, so the question was uh, regarding partisan and vitriol of venomous uh, conditions and environment and compromise. Um, so I, I do agree that there has to be both parties to the table. I do think that you have to work together to get things done. Uh, I don't think that you can compromise on principles. I don't think that there is room to compromise on uh, certain on certain things. You know, the Second Amendment being one, um, the you know the, the right to life being another, and I think that uh, that we have done all the compromising that we can do. And this is going to be a little bit unpopular, but we have compromised ourselves into a position where our state legislature doesn't do what we want them to do or we need them to do. And so I'm not interested in playing softball with socialists. And uh, I intend to try to stand up and defend our liberties and defend what is, you know, the, the corruption that is going on in, the, in our state house. So as far as working together to get things done, I do agree that has to happen. Uh, we just can't compromise on the principles that, that make us a great nation and a great state. You know, the Idaho's, or the, um, as you said, Dana, the Constitution was a great compromise. And folks, that is where we compromised. The Constitution is that compromise. Both parties came to the table, both parties, everybody had a say in what was going on. And respectfully, we've been running away from that revolution ever since. And we need to stop. So that's where I'm at. Thank you. Kevin. Kevin. Thanks, Stephanie. <laughs> I have one problem is I am colorblind, and there's a red and a green light here, and I can't tell the difference, so I am sorry. Um, that must make driving interesting. It does. So whenever you see, a, you just hit the gas when you come to a, a, a stoplight. Hope for the best. <laughs> Um, so what do we focus on? Um, 
There is one, one thing that the legislator is constitutionally required to do, and that is to balance the budget. If we balance the budget, we can go home at any point. That is the one thing we have to do. Other than that, I believe we need to focus on what our constituents have to say. Many times as legislators, we, go, we get voted in and we start thinking, oh, I am the expert at everything now. I can make laws and rules and I don't need to talk or listen to my constituents and I don't believe that is correct. I spent a lot of time texting, emailing and calling, returning phone calls to constituents to find out what their thoughts are about issues because I don't understand all of them how it plays to them. I've talked to county and city officials, to farmers, to medical experts, and to anyone else I can find regarding the subject at hand, and have asked them to help me with understand how this affects you. As far as compromise on values, we have seen how the federal government works today. There is no compromise, and so all we have is presidential executive orders. We do not want to get to there we can compromise and find a better bill than just my way, but to, to look together. Uh, the one thing I wouldn't compromise on is my values. My values are there and they will not bend. And, and that's where I stand. Thank you. Thanks. Keith. The button again. There it is. It's on now. So my, two of my grandsons are here, by the way. Thank you for having me. I didn't say that in my opening, so I, I need to correct that. Um, so there, there is another constitutional duty, and that is each legislator swears an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution and the state constitution. That is a duty of a senator and a representative and every elected official, right, in our state government. So. Um, one of the questions was, was or the way, the way the question was worded was, uh, you know, civil was uh, vitriol and things in public speaking. Um, and so I read an article by Senator Thane here uh, three or four months ago, and it was on civil discourse. Civil discourse is predicated on honesty and integrity. So before you can decide on compromise, you have to understand whether or not that the, the person that you're speaking to is speaking honestly and with integrity. So those are, those are things that you have to consider when you're, when you're talking about compromise. And I'll give you some examples. Um, there, was, there was an ethics committee hearing on, in the House of Representatives in the November session under Speaker Bedke. Speaker Bedke presided over the hearing. Speaker Bedke, Bedke uh, picked the ethics committee and the uh, law firm that was hired by uh, to, for the case, also gives campaign contributions to Speaker Bedke. So there are, there are issues in our legislature that, that are corrupt issues, not just in the House, but I believe in the Senate also. So uh, when, when you're talking about compro compromise, you have to decide whether, whether the other party, whether there is honesty and, and integrity in how they're dealing with you. Thank you. So I'd just like to... Remind the audience to hold your applause until the end of the uh, until the end of the event. I appreciate your enthusiasm, but that will allow us more time to get through more questions. Okay, so we have uh, five questions and one that came in on the internet that are very similar. So I'm going to try to paraphrase this question and 
direct it to all the candidates, but please, if, my, if I don't do it exactly like you wrote down, know that I'm paraphrasing several questions that came in that were very similar. All right, so um, this legislative session started with a $1.6 billion surplus fund. So my question to you, and we'll start with you, Kevin, because you are an incumbent and would have voted on this, um, what, what do you think those funds should be used for, or should they be used at all? I think you're on. I'm on, all right. Yeah, you're on. Okay, so, so we did, we had a, a huge surplus, and what should, they should be used for. I, I believe we, we used them, we gave some taxes back, some rebates, the biggest tax increase, or the biggest tax rebate in the history of Idaho. It went back to those who paid taxes, and I believe that's where that money belongs, is back to you. Um, then we took that money and we used it for education. Uh, I, am, I am passionate about education. That is our future. That is, that is where our future comes from, is, is our kids. And so we spent a heck of a lot of that money on education. We took some more of that money and we spent it on some bridges uh, roads uh, and, and transportation. Uh, if you remember the report that I think at Boise State came out and said how far behind we were on maintenance of bridges and on buildings, that surplus was used in, in both of those occasions. We also used that surplus to, to pay off almost all of our debt in the in buildings that we had. We also used, I think it was, I can't remember how many million it was, several million, I think it was in the hundred millions, that we used to pay off our Garvey loan uh, that was for our transportation. So we, we paid off debt, we increased our ability to educate our children, we increased our payment to our teachers so that we could recruit and retain good solid teachers to teach our, our children. And that's where I believe our money should be spent. Thank you. Keith. So $1.6 billion surplus uh, in, in Idaho. I, I question the number, because um, where were all the COVID funds spent? Do we really have a surplus? I'm not certain. However, I agree that there should be some tax, tax relief. Um, the House proposed tax relief in the form of uh, eliminating gross, a grocery tax. The House has proposed bills associated with property tax. These are things that would immediately help uh, people in this inflationary period, we have an inflationary period. And so these, these types of things would have provided real uh, relief to Idahoans. And none of these, these ideas or these bills made it into the uh, state Senate. Um, so I, I argued that um, they could have done more for the average person in this state for tax relief. Nick? So, I think, the, I think the use of this depends upon where the money came from. Uh, for, for instance, I think that while those all sound like noble causes, uh, paying off debt and, and cutting taxes, and we all agree that that should happen, uh, not at the cost of compromising principles. And one of the principles that I thought we stood for was independence and fiscal responsibility. And when you have, when you're taking money from the federal government, you're taking money from taxpayers all across America. And how we spend that money to help ourselves out, that's the basis of socialism, okay? Spread the wealth. Take it from the big group 
and hand it to, the, to, to people that we think we like and let them do with it what they will. So I don't think that money should be spent. I think it should be sent back. I don't think it should have been spent. And I think the problem comes with the strings that are attached to it, like I had said before, right? Now you're beholden to whoever gave you that money. And that's not okay because the strings that were attached to this came long after we got the money and long after some of it was spent. And that's not okay. We need to know the terms of the, of the deal before we take the deal and certainly before we spend the money. So I think it depends upon where that money comes from. Stephanie? table. There you go, you're on. Okay, now I'm on. Uh, I would agree with Senator Cook. I think that we needed to invest in education. I also believe that we have some deferred maintenance that needed to be uh, invested in as well. Having worked in the water world and understanding water, I think we also need to make sure that we look towards the future and, and look what the needs are that can make the best investment for our state. And there are some needs that haven't been met in the past that need to be taken care of so that into the future we will have water for our cities, communities, our recreationists. I do believe, though, the vast majority of that should be returned to the taxpayer when we have a surplus. And I will make note that most of that money did not come from the federal government, but that money came from the taxpayers in the state of Idaho. And so those taxpayers, we need to have tax relief, and we need to make it so that people can afford to live, work, play, and recreate in this area. Okay, so Keith, you brought this up, but I want to ask all the candidates, just a yes or no, you don't get your two minutes on this, just a yes or no. So do you think that those grocery sales tax should be repealed? And we'll start with um, Keith. Yes. Nick. Yes. yes. Sorry. Mm -hmm. yes. Stephanie. Sorry. No. Kevin. No. Thank you. Okay, so I want to tackle this. This I'm going to start with Nick on this question. This is Ms. a Kirkham. Yes. Could, could we explain why? Is I, that possible? I, I think this is one that needs an explanation. Dana. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to leave it at yes and no. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay, so Nick, this is a this is a tricky um, question, and so this is probably one of the uh, most difficult questions our nation has ever had to deal with, and um, I. I, there's, uh, I'm friends with a, a judge in Arizona, Judge Silver, anyway. She said to me once that, you know, the difficult thing about Roe v. Wade and abortion is that no reasonable person would say that abortion is the right op option. And no reasonable person would say that a woman shouldn't have a right to decide what happens with her body. And therein lies the difficulty of answering what we should and shouldn't do regarding this very difficult subject. So my question for you, Nick, is this. Do you support the new law that was just passed this last legislative session that permits relatives of a rapist to sue the medical provider for up to $20,000 if they administer the procedure? And if not, would you support legislation that permits abortions in cases of rape, incest, and a woman's life? That is a difficult question. I appreciate getting it. Um, so I've, I think I've made myself pretty clear on this on social media. I believe that abortion is murder, and I believe that while a woman does have a right to choose, uh, that that choice is made at the time of conception, okay? And that would be in 99% With of the cases. man's help too, right? Yeah, to be clear. yeah. <laughs> They're both responsible. Absolutely. 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 No both doubt. Both should be prosecuted, yes. No doubt. 
absolutely. Like it, it takes two to tango. And that is leading the witness, sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. <laughs> it takes two to tango, so yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I think I stand with Ben Shapiro on this when he says that rapists and, pe and pedophiles and those should um, have very extreme severe punishments. Uh, that no, I don't, I don't think that they should be allowed to sue um, if you're raping somebody or if you're a pedophile or if you're doing something and, and violating somebody's personal body, uh, you need to, I think Ben Shapiro puts it as be castrated. I agree with that. I think there needs to be extreme punishments for those types of things. Uh, as far as abortion goes, I, I think that uh, a woman has the right to choose. And I do think there are very, very extreme cases in which uh, an abortion may be okay. But I would say that's 99 point, I mean, 99.9% .9 of them, uh, I believe it to be murder. Thank you. Stephanie. I do not support a rapist's family being able to sue a doctor. And I definitely think that there needs to be exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother. Just the other day, I was talking to a dear friend of mine. She was 12 weeks pregnant, didn't realize it. And she had a, an eptopic pregnancy. And if the doctor wasn't allowed to give her an abortion, she would have bled out or died. So to put things in such stark terms, there are reasons why abortion needs to happen in certain cases and instances. And to allow a rapist to come back and sue a doctor, how many men are going to go out and start raping women so that they can then have their families sue and get money from, from medical professionals? I believe that there are reasons and purposes for abortion. I do believe in the sanctity of life, and I support protecting life. But there is also a life of a mother to be remembered in this whole equation, and I think sometimes we forget that. Thanks, Stephanie. Okay, so this question is for um, Keith and Kevin. So I'll start with you, Keith. Where do you stand on critical race theory um, and on, the, on specifically the critical race theory measure that was passed last year? And do you believe Idaho teachers are teaching critical race theory and do you have evidence to support this? I think critical race theory is another form of Marxism. That's what I think critical race theory is. Um, uh, do I believe that teachers are teaching critical race theory? I don't know. I can't answer that question. I don't have any evidence to uh, show that they are in the state of Idaho. Um, so what was the next part of your question, please? Uh, I think you covered all. Do you believe it's being taught? Do you I, have evidence? I, I don't know. And do you support the bill that was passed in this last legislation? Um, I'd have to go read the bill. I guess Kevin. I'm on. Yes. Yes. Uh, so the critical race theory, um, I, was in, I was involved with that uh, bill that we passed last year, obviously, because I was there. Um, that bill did not make it illegal to uh, teach that bill to teach critical race theory. It made it illegal to shame and to, to indoctrinate the children. And so there was a difference. And, I, and the reason I bring that up is I was, I was in a classroom. I go and volunteer in classrooms on my day off every other Friday. And the teacher began taught, teaching about Holocaust. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the discussion, she stopped and turned to me and, said, and she says, I'm so sorry, I can't teach that, can I? And I says, of course you can. Of course you can teach that. We have to teach that. 
This bill was only to say you cannot force children to believe in theories. So are our teachers teaching it? I don't know. I, haven't, I don't know of a teacher that has taught it. If there are, there are very, very few. There is an organization here in Bonneville County and in the state of Idaho that seems to paint teachers with this humongous brush that they find one teacher that does something wrong and they throw all teachers under the bus and I believe that is wrong. We have extraordinary teachers in Idaho, especially here in Bonneville County. Do I have proof that CRT is being taught? No, I do not. Thank you. Okay, this question is for Stephanie and then uh, for Nick and, and we'll see maybe for the other two. But um, fire season comes earlier and lasts longer. We've been faced with drought conditions since the early 2000s. Taking all of this into consideration, do you believe that climate change is real? If not, why? If so, why? Um, and if you think that it is, what should we be doing? What should the legislature be doing about it? I do believe that we have cyclical climate changes on, on our planet that we live on, absolutely. As far as what the legislature needs to be doing in it, we need to be investing in good um, water practices so that as things get drier, we, we have our aquifer that is underground that's the size of Lake Erie, that we have as many resources when we have those good water years to get the water where it needs to be so that we have the water to meet the demands because one of the great things about our state is we're an agricultural state. And so we need to be investing in water projects that will save water in years of plenty so that we can meet the needs. We also need to be developing water savings technology so that when things do get dry, we will have the water we need for culinary needs, for cities, for counties, for uh, industry. So that's what we need to be doing. Thank you. Nick? So I think that's a great answer. Um, I don't, so I do believe, and I don't think we can really argue that there's some cyclical climate change, right? At one point there was a giant ice age that covered this ground, and it's also been a tropical jungle before. Uh, I think the question really is, is it man-made? And I believe the answer to that is no, it isn't. Um, and as far as what we should or shouldn't be doing about it, I, I would just echo Stephanie, honestly. Uh, I think she had a great answer, that we need to be looking forward to what, what could be coming, right? And we need to, if, this, if these drought conditions continue, we need to be taking care of the water. Thank you. So I'm gonna ask this question to Kevin, and, but I would like all of the candidates to answer this one. All right, so the, late, the state legislature allocates roughly 63% of the budget to education. Local funds contribute about 25% of the total revenue per student, which places Idaho dead last. Uh, so when it comes to funding Idaho school, the real gap is in local funding. So my question first to you, Kevin, is, do you support efforts to lower the supermajority requirement in the Idaho Constitution? Because in large measure, that's what prohibits local school districts from raising the funds necessary to increase the local contribution. Um, that's a hardball question. <laughs> that's what uh, I'm known for. No. <laughs> Not really. Let's see, I'm so right now we're at two thirds. You have to have two-thirds of the vote in order to pass the, uh, the bond, the levy. Uh, I am not 
ready to go down to 51%? No, I'm not there. Uh, could we lower it some? Yeah, I think we could. I think we need to. Uh, but better, I would like to somehow figure out to, to fund education at the state level and not at the local level. Every time the school district goes out with a bond or a levy and it fails and they go out again, we all get mad at the districts and we get upset with the education. And, and, and so we need to somehow uh, finance that at the state level. That's where I would like to go. Like allowing local school districts to fund facilities? Is that what you're suggesting? No, so that the state, state starts paying more into the, the districts throughout the, throughout the state. Why, why are we locally having to raise money for some of that? Um, I just think it turns, it turns me off every time I see a bond coming up. Oh, I think you just turned yourself off. Sorry. It just went off. Um, Stephanie, is yours on? Can you? Sorry. Just take mine. Okay. <laughs> but you're next, Stephanie, your so take My it battery back, says it's dead. Oh, shoot. So, um, so I, I just like to see, in fact, I spent, uh, I spent most of the, uh, session trying to figure out how to, how to rewrite the transportation budget for busing and to figure out how could we totally finance the transportation budget for the schools instead of only giving you, let's see, there's a 85% and a 50% you this convoluted uh, um, formula to figure out how much money the state does for transportation. Well, why are we doing that? It's our kids. It's the state's kids. Let's let's figure out how to how to finance that. That's I guess that's where I would rather move to. Thank you, Stephanie. I feel like I'm always the first on these things. Well, first off, I'd say this is one of the reasons why we do not want to repeal the grocery tax because $200 million plus of the grocery tax that we capture from out-of-staters actually helps pay for our schools. So that's one of the reasons we should not cut back the grocery tax. Instead, just give the tax credit. Uh, secondly, I think that the state has the responsibility. If you read the state constitution, it says the state is responsible for educating free education, free public education for our students. So I think more of the burden needs to fall to the state. At this time, I wouldn't be in favor of lowering that necessarily without some corresponding adjustments on the state's part. Thank you. Keith. I support the two-thirds for a levy, first of all. Uh, one of the, the way the question was worded, you talked about necessary spending in education. I believe in Washington, D.C., they spend about $40,000 per student on education for each student in Washington, D.C., and their schools aren't known for good schools in the nation. Uh, I don't know what the number is in Idaho. I think it's 6500 to 9000 or something like that per student, depending on what district you're in. Um, so I hear a lot of uh, talk about spending on education, and I don't, I don't believe necessarily that increasing spending in, in increases student grades. So I, I don't necessarily agree with just increasing spending to fund more schools or, or things like that. I think there, there's, a, there's a line that you have to look at, are we really producing good content and um, uh, places for students to learn? Thank you, Nick. 
Oh, no applause, please. Please hold your applause. Thank you. So, this is probably. But you're all doing great. I applaud all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys hear me? There we go. That works better. So, I am going to have to. I mean, I'm going to be straight up frank with you. I, I don't know enough about that issue to answer it correctly or answer it well, okay? And I'm not afraid to admit that. So I don't know everything about every issue. I'm not going to pretend that I do. I think it boils down to principle. And uh, I do think that our children need to have the best education that we can provide them. And I do think that if it's constitutional that the state is to provide that, then the state should provide that. I also hesitate to say that because I think at the local level is where most government needs to occur, that we need to be in charge of what goes on with our children, we need to be in charge with what goes on in our communities, and not the state. So if on principle, I would say that it needs to be at the local level. Uh, and that's just based on the principle thing. So. Thank you. So Keith, we're going to start with you on this question, and it will go to all the candidates. Uh, currently, the legislative session typically runs from January to late March or early April. Late March, if we're lucky. Only the governor can call the legislature back into a special session. On the November ballot, voters will be asked if they wish to amend the Idaho Constitution so that the legislature can call itself back into session without the governor's consent. Do you think the people should vote yes or no, and why? Are you off too? I don't know. Can you hear me now? Sorry. Let me move it a little closer. Uh, I was just trying to look up the article on the Idaho State Constitution, and I can't find it at the moment, and I can't think of, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But the legislature can form a quorum. The legislature can call itself back into session. On September 15th last year, uh, there was a group of legislators that tried to do this over mandates. They were unsuccessful. So the legislature can do it if there are enough uh, uh, of them willing to step out and do that. So I, I don't agree. Stephanie? Oh, no, it's Kevin's turn first. <laughs> well, we're going to go down and then over to Nick. I'm like, I keep being the first ones to answer these that's, questions. That's awesome. Okay, I just got to say that I did first not. At it. I, I think that when we had all this emergency money coming in, I think the governor should have called the legislature back into session. I believe that when you're spending billions of dollars, that's the responsibility of the legislature, and they should have had that opportunity. I don't know enough about uh, whether or not uh, the legislature, under certain rules, I, I think that they can. Do I support the legislature calling themselves back in a session all the time? No, I don't. In fact, I think that they ought to keep the legislative session to a very short period of time so that we continue to have a citizen's legislature. Kevin? Okay, thank you. Um, so first off, when the certain couple of legislators that appeared on the state capitol building to try and reconvene, um, they didn't have any right to do that, first of all. And, and second of all, we hadn't signed died. So we were kind of quasi in session, but not. But just a group of people showing up and saying, oh, we're going to go back into session, that's not how it works. There are rules. Uh, that are very set forth on how things happen in the state. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, and I think we should all be grateful for that. But as there are three branches to the government, and they're supposed to be able to work together, but they have their own mission. Why on earth would you say this one branch has control 
of when the other branch can do its work. And that's where we're set up right now, is the executive branch decides if I want the legislator to come back to work. Think of all the money that came into this state and there was only one person that had, that knew what, decided what that money was to be used for. Instead of bringing all people, all hands on deck, get everybody there, let's work together and figure out how to use this money, we had one person. And I am not dogging uh, Governor Little, okay, I'm not doing that, but I'm just saying, there's a reason why the legislators should be able to call themselves into session. If we were able to do that, we would have been hand in hand with the governor and helped to decide what some of that COVID money was being used for. So, so in short, yes, I do support the idea of the legislative being able to call themselves in because they are another branch of the government. Thank you. Thank you. Nick, get the last word. So I think it's a yes or no question and I would answer that question to be yes. I think that people should vote for that. I think that it is, it's interesting. I think that uh, a lot of times we forget that the constitutions of our land are frameworks within which the government is required to work. And those constitutions are for the people. They're, for, they're to control the government, not to control the people, and they are the people's constitution. So absolutely, they should be able to amend it, they should be able to change it, they should be able to uh, do what needs to be done to secure their liberties. Thank you. So Nick, I'm actually gonna have you have the first yeah. word okay. on this one, only because you're up here on my little chart. Um, okay, and I, and I, if there weren't several questions on this, I think I would probably avoid it just because I don't want everything to go off the rails. So let's try to remember <laughs> that we are here for civil discourse. Um, and I'm gonna try to blend a couple of the questions. So some of you have already talked about what your position on vaccine mandates are. But the second part of the question is, first, what is your position? And second, how do you feel the legislature and the governor should have handled the COVID vaccine mandates and the COVID situation? So we'll start with you, Nick. Okay, I don't think that's a difficult question. Uh, my position on it is that the vaccination mandates are immoral and unconstitutional, especially given that the vaccines that we, are, we were being forced to take uh, are experimental medications, they're experimental drugs. Uh, that, that in itself is a crime against humanity, forcing an experimental drug on people. Okay, so um, as far as mask mandates go, I, I also believe that's the same thing. Uh, it's, I don't think it's the government's job to tell people what they have to do with their lives. It's not the government's job to be a nanny to anybody. It's not the government's job to force you to be safe. Okay, uh, and so from that standpoint, I think that what happened was, was completely unconstitutional and immoral. Uh, how do I feel we should have responded? I think we should have responded the same way that uh, Sweden responded and treated it like we were adults and like it was a flu and done nothing with it. I think we have lots of different, uh, we have lots of different sicknesses that go through our communities at lots of different times. There's been bad flus, there's been not bad flus. And I think what we should have done was let people handle their own lives and live them. Kevin. Um, the way I look at the, the uh, mandates, I am uh, against the federal mandates. For them to come out and say uh, that you have to get vaccinated, that you have to wear uh, masks, and I guess this is the way I look at it, is at the end of your, 
end of your day, when you get through working, you can take off your hard hat. You can remove your steel-toed boots. You can take off your fluorescent, bat, your fluorescent vest. But you cannot remove the vaccination from yourself. I believe that that should be an individual right to make that decision. That uh, medical things are for me and me alone to make that decision. I should be able to go to experts and find out what they think and I should listen and make my own decision uh, as far as um, what should have been done. It's always easy to be the, the quarterback on the armchair and, and, and look back at that, but I, I think educate, 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 teach us and let us make the own decisions. Uh, I, I think that is the best way to do it. When the federal government come out with a mandate, that is when everybody says, no way, I'm not getting vaccinated. When you start telling Americans what to do, that's when we start digging our heels in. And we should have never done that. We should have just educated them. Thank you. Keith. Um, I believe the mandates are unconstitutional. So um, you, you started this question with civil discourse. I mentioned it earlier. And it's predicated on honesty and integrity. So uh, along with these, these, this biotechnology, uh, there was a lot of CDC VAERS data where people were dying, people were injured. There was uh, Guillain-Barre, I, I think I said that right. Uh, There's myocarditis associated with people being vaccinated with this biotechnology. So uh, we're talking about civil discourse and, and predicated on honesty and integrity. Uh, you didn't hear any of that when they were telling you how safe and effective it is. That was never heard. As a matter of fact, when I was leaving, when I was getting terminated at the INL, I had many people contact me via text message, email, and phone calls that said, my mother had a stroke, my brother had a stroke, my aunt had a stroke, my father had uh, blood clots from his ankles to his hips. As a matter of fact, last year in May, after my wife Dad was vaccinated, he died. He died a short period after. So um, first of all, educate, 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 but let's educate on real things, things that are really happening to people, and that just was not done. So the, the federal mandate should have never happened. Should have never happened. Stephanie. I do not believe in government mandates on vaccines. So the so the next question, and let's start with Kevin. Um, and this, is, this one I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on. So answer, try to get your, your answers as concise as possible so we can get through some of these other questions. But do you or do you not believe Idaho elections are secure? I do. And you follow instructions. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. Wow. OK, Nick. I don't, I, I do, I think there's more work to be done. Stephanie? I believe they are secure at this point. Keith? I do. Okay. Um, this one we kind of ask in the beginning, but I, I think it's well worded and I appreciate whoever sent it in, so I just want to give it some, um, some fair billing. So let's start with, um, let me see who's up. Stephanie, I'm afraid you're up. I know you're going to say you're not, but I have my hash marks, and I swear to you, you're up. So, all right. Idaho is a religiously and culturally diverse state. 
We don't all agree on everything. In many ways, we disagree on some core fundamental values. That said, you will be in a position to fairly represent the full range of your electorate. How will you do that? Well, I don't know if any of you are married, but if you're married, you have some experience in this realm of getting along with people that you don't always agree with. And so one of the most important parts in that equation is that you sit down and you try to put yourself in the other person's shoes and understand where they're coming from. Some people believe in a God, some people don't believe in a God. Some people believe in, in, in vaccines, other people don't believe in vaccines. And so I think it's just a matter of learning to listen to the other side and trying to put together the best result you can get from listening to the people at the table. Thank you. Kevin? I, I, I believe in listening to the people. Um, I, I think there was, uh, in 1776, I think there was a little battle that took place to ensure that uh, everybody was representative in, in, in Congress and United States. And so as a representative, as a senator, I listen to everybody and that's where I, I rely on that to get information back to me. I have a morning thing on Facebook begging people, let me know where you stand on the issue. So information is critical. Thank you. Uh, Nick. I think those are both great answers. Um, I think it's very important that we maintain that religious liberty that everybody has, that we have the right to. And you have the right to worship how, where, what you may, and in any form or fashion. And I do believe that those need to be listened to and that people, everybody here, everybody in the state of Idaho has a voice and should be included in what we're doing and in the, and in the process for our government. Uh, so I think it comes down to how, how do you make the decisions that you're going to make. You do that on the principles that you know. You take into, into account uh, other people's viewpoints and you make a solid decision based upon, you know, using critical thinking and based upon the Constitution and the, and, well, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and making sure that everybody can be represented. Keith? I, I don't necessarily believe that we have different values. Um, I, uh, we have, certainly have maybe different beliefs in God things like that. But I spent eight years in the Navy, and during that time I was overseas. I was in Okinawa, and Guam, and Japan, and Hong Kong, and Philippines, and South Korea, Canada, Mexico, and invariably, everywhere I went, if you treated people with respect, they treated with you, you with respect. And so I, I don't necessarily, I think the value is uh, valuing that person. And I think uh, it, as long as you're coming from that position, you know, that that person's opinions, their uh, beliefs have value, they certainly have value to them, then I think that is, then, I, you know, that, that discussion begins at right there. So Keith, actually keep the microphone because you're up next to start. Um, so let's, you all have made it through, let's, let's pretend you've all made it through the nightmare that is election season. You've knocked on all the doors, You've had all the forums, you've done all the debates, and you come out on top. And in January, you walk through the state house doors and you are a representative of the people. What is the one bill that you are committed to carrying if you are elected? Well, I think I would start with uh, the Senate rules. 
uh, trying to change the Senate rules. Right now, we have uh, many, many, many bills that come out of the House that don't even make it to a Senate committee. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, the, the pornography bill that the House passed, the Senate pro tem Chuck Winder, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the direct quote, basically said, you won't see this kind of nonsense in the Senate. That bill dealt with pornography in libraries that children have access to. I think that's a problem, but that passes the, South, the, the House, sorry, excuse me, and it never even makes it to Senate committee. So I think changing those rules uh, so that at least that some of those bills get heard in committee, I think, is important. Thank you. Uh, Kevin. Um, what bill, what's the number one bill I'd want to pass? I think the number one bill I'd want to pass is one that I've been working on for a year, and it's dealing with pornography. It's uh, if your phone activate gets activated in the state of Idaho by default, the uh, parental, uh, parental conflict or parental contacts filtering turns on automatically. The software is already on your phone. Uh, my opponent talked about pornography. We all hate pornography. It's, it's ugly and we certainly want to keep it from our kids. The concept is, is clear, crystal clear. Um, but my bill didn't make it because of an organization that rated it a negative and it never got to see the, the light of day. Um, there's some organizations I think would rather have your kids look at pornography than to, to stop it. Uh, and that certainly isn't Senator Winder. You need to, there's concepts and then there's the words of the bill. We vote and we uh, uphold the words of a bill in, in law and court, not by concept. We vote on the words of the bill. My bill was, was very, very good, but because it was rated as a negative five, uh, it, it never got voted on. And this was protect children. This wasn't against you. You could still turn your filtering off, but this was to protect the children. And uh, it never made it out. So that was the one thing that I would like to see happen. Thank you. Nick. So mine would be uh, parental rights and education and giving parents the choice and in, in having uh, money follow the kids. Stephanie. Mine would be aquifer recharge. And the reason being is I have children and grandchildren. And I am looking forward to the future of this state. It's been ingrained in our, in our family for on my husband's side six, seven generations, and on mine, far longer than that. And I think that we have to make the investments for the future, and we have to have that vision, so that would be mine, was that we would, I would run an aquifer recharge bill. Thank you. Okay, Nick, we'll start with you on this one. So all of you have declared that you are strong supporters of the United States Constitution, and consequently of the state constitution. Do you consider yourself an originalist in interpretation or a non-originalist, and why? I consider myself to be an originalist. Uh, I believe the Constitution to be a contract, and I believe it should be followed exactly as it's written. Okay. Uh, let's go with Stephanie. I would say I, I believe in the Constitution of the state and in the federal government, or the United States Constitution, and I would say I'm an originalist. So, interpret it exactly as it is written. Yes. Okay. 
Keith? I'm lacking some definitions here on originalists and what was it, non-originalists? So non-originalists so believes it evolves, it evolves as a document and originalist believes it is stagnant as it was written. So, so definitions are, are important, right? Words are important. Um, so I'm going to say that uh, I believe that the, the Constitution should be followed as written, both the state and the U.S. Constitution. Um, if we need to change them, there are, there are ways that we can go, the people can change them. But I'm gonna, I believe that they are as they are written. Thank you. Stephanie, it really is back to you, so I don't want to. No, any... it's Kevin. It's Kevin's for that question. Oh, Kevin, sorry. Oh, Kevin, I'm so sorry. That's okay. that is, I consider that the most important question tonight, so please, yes. Thank you. I, I am an originalist. I believe the Constitution should be interpreted the way it was written in 1776 and 1778 in those years, not today. Look at it how it was written then, and that's the way it was meant. So I'm going to, this is not, I don't want an answer, but I just, I want you all to talk to me about it afterwards. But remember that slavery was written in the original Constitution. So let's have that conversation afterwards. Okay. Um, so let's start with Stephanie. What can the legislature do specifically? What can the legislature do specifically to increase economic prosperity in Idaho? And what role, if any, should the legislature have in attracting new business to Idaho? Okay, I think there's a couple components to it. First off, I think we need to have a good education system so we can attract people to our state. Secondly, I think that we have way too much government regulation and we need to figure out how to get rid of a bunch of government regulation because that deters businesses from coming. It adds burden and cost to products and services that we provide in the state. And what was the third part of that question? Or the second part? What, what role should they have in attracting new business to the to the state. I think the state uh, needs to attract new business because ultimately when we have good prosperity, it diversifies our tax base. We have more people to help pay taxes and help with that burden. And the state um, can do things by uh, showing, like I know Governor Little, when he was the Lieutenant Governor, went around, met with different businesses, and showed them what we have to offer. I don't necessarily think they need to make a whole lot of special deals for them, but I do think that for the state to showcase what's here and why people would want to come here is a fantastic responsibility of the state. So you're promoting market, not legislate, necessarily. Right. Marketing, not necessarily legislating. Okay. Uh, let's go with Nick. Again, I think that's a great answer. I think uh, I, I would let the market do that. Um, there's, there's the one exception, and, and everybody's going to come back on me and say, but you don't want the mandates, right? And that is absolutely true. Uh, I think there's a difference, and I think that there's, a, there's an, importance to be, or an importance in recognizing the rights of the people, recognizing the rights of a human soul being greater than the rights of a business. And so I would not, I, I would not implement and try to force more regulation. I would like to deregulate. And I would like to do that under the, under the principle and the understanding that businesses are going to respect people's individual rights. Uh, and I, I also I agree that we need to show, showcase what we have. Idaho's a great state. And we have a lot of things and a lot of things that are, I, you know, aren't being utilized completely. And uh, we have a lot to offer the country. So uh, I guess that's where I'm at. Go Idaho. Kevin. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, am, I, am, I want to see red tape gone, uh, open it up and let businesses flourish 
there are so many times that the government gets involved and puts itself in front of the business and, and thinking we're here to help you and we're not helping you, so get out of the way. Let capitalism work like it's supposed to. Um, the government's role in trying to help that should be providing an infrastructure, good, good electricity grid, uh, good roads and bridges so you can get stuff to the market. Um, and that is one thing we did with the ARPA funds, the, the COVID pandemic funds. We looked very closely at those funds to make sure there were no strings. And on many of the funds that came, you could have drove a freight train through it. There were no strings. And so we were very, very careful on what we used that money for. Go back and, and look at that, and you'll see that, that a lot of the things, there were no strings. Where there were strings, we were very, very careful to commit the state to anything. So those funds were used to improve our roads and our infrastructure. Uh, I don't believe the government should be making special deals. Let, let capitalism work. There was a bill where we, we uh, and I voted against it, was is to go and give all this bunch of this money for, uh, to build childcare centers. Well, that's a great idea, but how about if I was a childcare center that I had worked years and struggled with all blood, sweat, and tears to make my business work, and now you're gonna go give my competitor money so that they can compete against me and they get all the money where I, I didn't. And so I have a little problem when the government steps in and says, okay, we're gonna help you be successful and you can compete against your opponent. So let the market work. Thank you. Keith. Free markets and free enterprise do not contain elements of coercion. So we've seen that in the, uh, the lockdowns. There were elements of coercion where small businesses were shut down, they were cited, they were fined for operating during the lockdowns. Um, what we have right now is crony capitalism where um, at the federal level, there was $6 billion given to uh, six pharmaceutical companies to produce these vaccines. Um, so I, I think we have elements of crony capitalism versus free market and free enterprise. I think we need to eliminate that. Uh, some of the other things that could be done in the state, at, on the state level is uh, dealing with taxes and making taxes uh, fair across the board. But one of the things associated with the, uh, back to the, the businesses being cited, so uh, one of the things that was done was small businesses were cited, okay, but Walmart stayed open, right? So uh, I would rather see uh, 20 small businesses that employ 2,000 people versus one big business that employs 2,000 people, because when that business up and leaves, they, it's gone, and it affects communities. Thank you. Okay, so you can take a deep breath. You made it to the end of this grueling exercise. I think you all did an excellent job. So now you have three minutes, three minutes to share whatever you would like with the audience, um, and then we'll call it a night. So let's start, oh, I, Over on that side. I started, my, I have my hash marks, Stephanie, my hash marks. <laughs> So, uh, actually, we're back to Kevin. All right. <laughs> well, I'm going off my hash marks. We got to start. I don't. And science numbers do not lie. <laughs> Nobody comment on that, please. Sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. All right. Thank you. Uh, again, I would thank uh, the City Club, the sponsors, and, and you, Ms. Kirkham, for uh, a fine job we've done tonight, and, and uh, for you for being here. 
for participating. Um, just a, a couple of clarifications that I think maybe I didn't uh, clarify when I was speaking is, is, first of all, I do not believe in giving a blank check to resolve any education problems. I, I don't think money is the answer. But I also believe that you do need some money to operate. We do need some money to, to have buildings, to have safe buildings for our kids to be in. We do need to have money to be able to retain some of the awesome teachers that we have here. Uh, critical race theory. Um, I, I said I don't know of any proof that is here. I have not personally seen anything here. But is it coming? Is it out there? Absolutely. And my father is a farmer, nothing like the, the Mickelsons. We had a farm about the size of their front yard, but I thought it was big. But my father taught me the best time to get weeds out of the corn patch was when it was small. When the weed was little, you get rid of it then. And so if CRT is on our way to Idaho, which I believe it's going to hit, you can't pick up a newspaper or anything and read and not hear something about CRT, then we best be ready for it. And we best be ready for it and see what we can do. Now, is that the state's position to do that? No. I, I think it's your position, my position at the school board levels. We go get involved with our school boards and we make sure what curriculum is being taught. We need to get things down at the local level and not at the state level. You guys, we are the local people and we need to get involved and make sure that things are happening. My, I, again, as I said, I was raised on a farm. My, my father taught me to work hard. We got up early and he says, you don't go to bed until the job is done. And I believe that is true. And I worked hard as a legislator to, to figure out, understand the bill and to figure out what would be best for Idaho. As a software engineer by profession, I learned how to ask questions from users to find out what the requirements were, and then learned how to listen, to sit back and listen and understand what was being said. Uh, and I have done that with state agencies as I sat down with them to figure out what their budgets are and what, how much money they need and why they need it. Is it just uh, something to just poof to go with, or do they really need it? And so uh, I looked really hard at that. I listened to agencies, to elected officials, to farmers, to plumbers, to electricians, teachers, administration, uh, and county and city of, uh, elected officials. They're the ones, they're our local levels. Those are the ones that we need to listen to. Thank you. Keith. So I know this seems like I've, I've painted a single issue. I do not believe that the, the mandates and those things are a single issue. I think it's, it's a problem in our state government where a governor declares lockdown or declares a state of emergency for two years, over two years, and he has authorization for 60 days. So uh, there's a quote from Plato that silence gives consent. Um, there's another, another quote I would like to read you, and that is, what is a conservative? There's a lot of... Uh, on the TV and signs, I'm the true conservative in the race. I'm the conservative in the race. So let's, let's define one of the, at least the first of the 10 conservative principles. First, the conservative believes that there exists an enduring moral order, that order is made for man, and then man is made for it. Human nature is a constant, and moral truths are permanent. So during this period, I've had many, many, many uh, interactions with people that have told me that they have been injured by these, these forced vaccinations. 
I told you last year in May that my wife's father died shortly after getting this vaccination. In November, Carrie Hanks stood on the House floor and read a letter from a lady that lost a relative of hers. He was an INL employee. Uh, he had to make this decision. His religious exemption was denied. He had to make this decision between getting this or his job. At some point, he decided, I need to work for at least another year. His name is Claude Pettengill, by the way. He was out of Pocatello. Two weeks after he got it, he was sick in the hospital, and two weeks after that, he was dead from this. So I'm going to repeat again. Conservative believes that there, there is an existing enduring moral order. I submit to you that with the silence in the Senate, I talked about it during my opening remarks, the Senate has been largely silent on this issue. They have failed morally. This is a problem. And so um, I heard it said we need to start pulling the weeds. And I think we need to start pulling the weeds in the Senate. We need to change a lot of these folks out. So thank you for listening to me tonight. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. So Kevin Cook, Keith Newberry, both were, could be, either one will be your next District 32 Senator. So let's give them a round of applause. All right, Nick, you're up. So I echo the thanks. Thank you for being here. Thank you for participating and thanks for listening to us. Uh, I do believe this is very important. I believe this is one of the most important elections that we will see in our time. Uh, everything that we love, um, and, and I'm going to put it, you know, I agree with, with Keith and when he said, I think there's some basics in humanity that people just, you know, you treat with respect. Uh, but everything that we love in faith and family and freedom are under attack. They're under attack in our nation and they're under attack in our state. And uh, it needs to stop. People need to stand up. People need to say something. People need to be willing to take the arrows. People need to be willing to stand up and do what needs to be done to stop it. I believe I've already proven that. I had a job at the Idaho National Lab where I was making a good wage. And I've given up millions of dollars and a career and a whole lot of reputation and a whole lot of sweat, blood, sweat, and tears to stand up for what I believe in, to follow Abraham Lincoln's guide, to put your feet where they belong and don't be moved. So I would ask you for your vote uh, that, I, that you allow me to defend your freedoms and mine. Thank you. Thank you. And Stephanie. I want you to know I love Bonneville County. This is the, one of the greatest areas probably anywhere in the world. I, I've been lots of places and I tell you every time I come home I recognize what a great place this is to live. We have fantastic people here. We have good schools. We have people that are running our schools that care about what's going on. We have good businesses here that provide a good stable economy for our people and we need to continue to work upon those, um, those values and those those businesses and other groups that build our economy. One of the things we have to understand is overregulation and government interference causes inflation. Right now, the people in our state and in our county and in our city are facing massive amounts of inflation, and government is playing a role in that, and we have to make sure that we remove the barriers that are causing the problems that are causing inflation in our area. We need to remember that government the smallest government and the government closest to the people will be the most effective government. So we need to allow local school boards, local cities, local counties to do their job. 
I also want you to know that I, some people have mocked me for my experience, and I think the experience that I have can bring great value for Bonneville County and can be a, leveraged to uh, help the entire region here that we have. Not very many people have quite the connection to its past, its present, and its future as I do. Having been a farmer, and my kids will continue to be farmers, and I hope my grandkids will as well, we have to make sure that we take care of this precious resource we have in our state, and I believe that I'm the person to do that. I know how to fight when I need to fight. I know that it may look like I'm nice and kind, which I am, but there are times when you have to enter a fight and you have to fight for what you believe in. And there's ways you can do it, which everybody can still feel good when you get done at the end of the day. We need to make sure we have awesome opportunities for our children so that they can come, that they can be educated here, that they can return and live here and have good jobs here. I hope that you'll vote for me, Stephanie Mickelson, um, on May 17th, Legislative District 32, CDA. Thank you. So Nicholas T. Christiansen and Stephanie Jo Mickelson, House Seat A. So, thank you. Before we part tonight, I just want to say a couple of things. I want to remind you about some upcoming events, but first I just want to say these candidates and this audience, you've made me very proud to be an Idahoan tonight. We truly had civil discourse. No one yelled anything that they shouldn't yell. All of the questions that came in were very civil. So thank you to all of you for showing that democracy can work and it can work with kindness and with expression of thought and interest and in listening to each other. So thank you very much for that. Let's give you a hand. All right. I want to remind you that tomorrow night, City Club will host candidates for District 33. So Dave Lent, Barbara Ehart and Jeff Thompson will all be in attendance. On Wednesday night, we'll host candidates for District 35. Mark Harris, Doug Toomer, Kevin Andrus, John Goody, Chad Christensen, and Josh Wheeler will all be here. Same time, same place. And a reminder that the Republican primary is May 17th. You can register online at voteidaho.gov or in person at the polls. You need to remember to bring a photo ID and proof of residence with you if you have not already registered. Early voting opens May 2nd in Bonneville County. May 6th is the deadline for requesting an absentee ballot, and as stated, election day is May 17th. So remember to exercise your fundamental right to vote. It's a right so important that it's secured by the Equal Protection and Due Process Clause of the Constitution, and exercising our right to vote upholds our republic. Good night.